Good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bible History Project. Before we proceed tonight, let us all stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, O God, for blessing us this evening with our life and our strength. As we study your holy words, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit that will enlighten our minds and give courage and hope in our hearts. May you please, Father, bless all those who are joining us today. May you strengthen our faith and continue to uphold us with your righteousness. We ask and beg everything, O Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. All right. So we're going to continue studying all about the life of Abram or Abraham. Previously, we talked about walking with faith. And then we transitioned to fighting by faith. And then yesterday, last week, I should say, we talked about growing in faith. Today, we're going to talk about struggling in faith. Because Abraham, before he became the father of faith, because before he became well-known as being the one who was a faithful man of God, a friend of God, he went through struggles in his faith as well. This is what we're going to study today. You see a picture of two women one is Sarai, the other one is Hagar. Can you tell me which one's which? I cannot tell either. But of course, that is not the actual picture of Sarai and Hagar. We have no idea how they look like. However, we know that they must be beautiful, right? Because the Pharaoh really fell in love with Sarai. And so let's begin by going back to the promise of God that he made to Abram in the book of Genesis chapter 15, 2 down to 4. Abram asked, Almighty Lord, what will you give me? Since I'm going to die without children, Eliezer of Damascus will inherit my household. You have given me no children, so this member of my household will be my heir. Suddenly, the Lord spoke his word to Abram again. He said, this man will not be your heir. Your own son will be your heir. Remember how God called Abram from Ur in Chaldea. God said to him, you will be a father of many nations. You will have numerous descendants. Here God reaffirms his promise. Perhaps Abram thought he would get an heir who is not his actual flesh and blood. Like Eliezer, was he, what's the one he was thinking about? Because after all, Sarai was barren, and they were both already past their primes. However, God said to him, No, your heir will not be Eliezer. Your heir will be your own son. So this was good news to, good news to Abram, because Abram is now waiting upon a specific promise of God. He will have a son, a promised son, from our almighty God. They even went through that ceremony. Remember? The cutting, the covenant ceremony to affirm the promise that God has made to Abram. Now, let us fast forward. Next slide. Ten years later. Is ten years a long time? That's a long time. Imagine God has promised you. Abram, you're going to have a son. And so one year has passed. Two years has passed. Three years has passed and still no son. How would you feel? You might feel pressure, right? Especially if you're Sarai, you're going to feel a lot of pressure. Five years, six years, 
10 years later. Let's open the book of Genesis chapter 16 and the verses 1. Sarai, Abram's wife, was not able to have children. They tried, right? But it just did not work. Sarai was not able to have children together with Abram. Can you imagine the pressure Sarai must have felt? Because there was this promise of God that Abram is going to have a son. Ten years has passed. There was no promise fulfilled. Which brings us to one of the biggest struggles of faith. Next slide. What do you think is one of the greatest struggle of faith? What do you think it is? Huh? What is one of the greatest struggles of faith? Next slide. It's when you have to wait on God. Nobody likes to wait. However, if we live by faith, we need to learn how to wait upon our almighty God. Why? Because God's timetable is different from ours. Remember Abram? He thought he would inherit all that land in his lifetime, but he found out through a vision he would inherit that hundreds of years later, not him personally, but his descendants. You see, God has a purpose for everything. God has a plan for everything. God's plan and his timetable is often different from man's plans and his timetable. This is why one of the greatest struggles is when we have to wait for God. How about you? How about us? Are we waiting for something from God? Did God give a promise to us? Yes, right? We're waiting for God's deliverance, God's promises, God's everlasting life. And so we must learn to wait. Wait on God. However, next slide, when we wait on God, it's sometimes very difficult, especially when it comes to Abram and Sarai. Why was it especially hard for Abram and Sarai to wait on God? Next slide, number one, because Abram and Sarai were both well past their primes. You agree? So every year that passes and Sarai is not pregnant, more and more pressure builds against Abram and Sarai. What else? Number two, the stigma of childlessness, especially back then, during biblical times, during the times of Abraham. If you had no child, it was a sign that you were under the curse of our almighty God. So the stigma of childlessness. What else? Number three, children were considered the crown of a man. Abram had it all except for that crown, right? He did not have his own child. He did not have his own son. And lastly, number four, the wife would, so would, offer, would often suffer the blame and ridicule because if you're going to look at reasons for not having children, you're going to blame always the wife. I guess that's true even today. huh? It's a good thing we have fertility tests now so we can really look at the reason why people do not conceive. And so these are the reasons why it was especially difficult for Abram and Sarai to wait upon the promise of our Almighty God. You know, when we have to wait for God, to deliver his promise between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise we have to go through many many struggles why next slide because there are dangers there are potential pitfalls potential dangers while we wait upon God and so let's look at Genesis 1 to 2 and we will see 
some of the pitfalls, some of, some of the potential dangers that exist when we are called upon to wait on God's promise to be fulfilled. Let's go to Genesis 16, 1 to 2. Sarai, Abram's wife, was not able to have children. She owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Why don't you sleep with my slave? Maybe I can build a family through her. Abram agreed with Sarai. And so this is what happened when after 10 years of waiting, there is no promised son that God made to Abram. And so we can see here four, four pitfalls, four dangers of waiting on God's promise. Do you see it? Do you see four? What's number one? Next slide, please. Sarah says to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. What do you sense from Sarai? She's disappointed with God. In fact, we can even say she is blaming God. The Lord is the one who kept me from having children. You know, when God has a promise for us and we pray to God about something and what we have prayed to God was not given to us right away, sometimes we feel disappointed and we may even begin to blame God. We may even lose our faith in God. We can kind of sense that here from who? From Sarai. He's blaming God for not having children. What else do you see there that could be a potential pitfall, danger for waiting upon God's promise to be fulfilled? Next slide. Hagar, right? What was the suggestion, the plan of Sarai? He says to Abram, why don't you sleep with my slave? my servant named Hagar. And so if God has not yet delivered the promised son, maybe Sarai can help God out. And so ra rather than relying on God's solution, she's coming up with her own solution. In other words, rather than waiting on God, she wants to do it her way, right? You know, when we have to wait on God, sometimes we think of alternative plans. If God doesn't want to do it my way, I'll just do it myself, right? We take matters into our own hands. What else? Next slide. It says here, Sarah says, maybe I can build a family through her. And so she doesn't even consult with God. It's no longer about giving God glory. It's about giving herself glory she says maybe i can build a family through her so it's not about god anymore it's not even about abram anymore it's about who it's about her legacy now maybe i can build a family through her and lastly next slide please sadly abram agrees with sarai this is often this often happens when we wait on god we are easily persuaded to let go of God's promise. We are easily persuaded to betray our almighty God. So in summary, next slide, what are potential dangers while we wait on God to fulfill his promise to each one of us? Number one, we begin to blame God. Number two, we take matters into our own hands. Number three, we seek our own glory rather than God's 
glory. You know, when that focus shifts away from giving God praise and glory into seeking our own glory, that's a big danger. Number four, we can be easily persuaded to betray God. Sometimes when you wait long enough, you begin tired. You become tired and weary. You begin to stop waiting upon our almighty God. So this is what happened to Abram and Sarai. And so they began to come up with their own human solution rather than wait for God's solution, God's deliverance. Did they succeed? Let's read Genesis 16, 3 down to 4. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. Did they succeed? Looks like they did, right? I mean, previously, Abram had no hope, right? All of a sudden, guess what? Hagar is pregnant. And that seed in Hagar is whose seed? Abram. And so it looks like it appears that Abram and Sarai had succeeded in their plan. Maybe they want to look up to God and expecting a thank you from God. Thank you, Sarai, for your plan. They succeeded, however, because people rely on human solutions rather than God's solution. Often it comes with problems. Do you believe that? You know, when you go ahead of God, when you do it your way rather than trusting the Lord God's way and His timing, oftentimes we come uh, we, we experience problems along with that. So what happened after this? 16, uh, 4 down to 6. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Let's pause her for a while. Why do you think that is? When Hagar thought, oh, I'm pregnant now. Why do you think she begins to treat Sarai, her mistress, with contempt? How many here have been pregnant before. Yeah? There are hormonal changes in your bodies, right? I don't think this is what's happening here. You see, when Hagar is now pregnant, guess what? This is my chance. I'm no longer just a servant. I am the wife of who? Abram. Not only the wife of Abram, but the wife who was able to give Abram a child. What does that make Hagar? It makes Hagar, perhaps, superior to who? Sarai. Do you see a, a love triangle kind of uh, developing here? Yeah? Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Oh, wait a minute. Whose idea was it in the first place? Wasn't it Sarai's? Abram agreed to the plan. And when it doesn't come out as well as planned, guess who gets to, be, to receive the blame? The guy. <laughs> the man. Haka Frank, sometimes things never change, right? Haka right. <laughs> Frank says, yeah. Why is that? You know, but you know, when you think about it, I think Abram does have a part of the blame, right? Why? Because he's the leader. Why did he agree to that plan? He should have known better. God spoke to him directly. God gave him his plan. He should have relied upon the promise 
of our Almighty God, but he didn't. And so Sarai said to Abram, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. This was man's solution, right? Did it turn out well? Initially, when she was pregnant, they were excited. However, later on, we see what happens when people do not wait for God's plan to unfold and take matters into their own hands. What do we find here? Conflict, contempt, people getting treated harshly to the point that Sarai convinced Hagar to finally run away. Do you know why this happened? This conflict resulted from this relationship? There are three reasons why. Number one, this was not God's plan. This was Sarai's plan, right? Number two, Matthew 19, 4 down to 6, Jesus answered, haven't you read the scripture that says that in the beginning, the creator made people male and female. And God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife. And the two will become one. So they are no longer two, but one. No human being must separate then what God has joined together. Why else was there conflict in that plan that Sarai conceived of having Abram impregnate Hagar? The Bible says God's plan when it comes to marriage is to unite how many to become one. What did Christ say? What did God say? God said the two, right? Not the three. Not the four, not the five, but the two will become one. You see, back then, polygamy was allowed, right? Legally and socially, especially when your wife is unable to conceive and bear children. It was allowed to have a servant be given to the man to become another wife for the purpose of childbearing. However, even though it was accepted legally, even though it was accepted socially, it was not accepted by God. Polygamy was never the plan of God. What is the plan of God? One man, one woman, one marriage. That's the plan of our Almighty God. The two will become one. Because if you have more than one, you're going to have a love triangle, right? You're going to have a lot of conflict. This is why we expected that to happen. There was a lot of harsh feelings between Hagar, Abram, and Sarai. A lot of blaming and pinpointing. Why? Because it was never the plan of God. Number two, it broke God's plan concerning the marriage. There's another reason why. What is that? Proverbs 30, 21 to 23. There are four things that the earth itself cannot tolerate. A slave who becomes a king. You know why? Because a slave was never trained to become a king. I mean, what is he going to do if all of a sudden the slave becomes a king? Has he been trained? Does he know how to run a country, a kingdom, right? A fool who has all he wants to eat, a hateful woman who gets married, and a servant woman who takes the place of her mistress. You're only going to have social 
problems. The earth cannot tolerate this. You're going to have social problems, chaos in society. If any of these were to take place or happen in our society, this is why it was never a sound plan from the beginning. Sarah's plan was not a good plan. He could not see it then. The best plan is always to wait on God to fulfill his promise. And so we have here Haggai. She runs away, right? What happens after she runs away? Genesis 16, 7 down to 10. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? Let's pause there for a while. This was the first time, the first instance of an angel of the Lord visiting someone here on earth. And so this representative of God visits Hagar. And what does this angel of the Lord say to Hagar? He says, Hagar, Sarai's servant. You notice it did, it did, uh, the angel did not say Hagar, Abram's wife. Why? Because it was never really approved by our Almighty God. Because as far as God is concerned, marriage is between how many people? Two people. Nevertheless, nevertheless, look at God's compassion and mercy. Then the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Look at that. Does that promise sound familiar? It does, right? So here's Hagar, a servant who was mistreated by Sarai and Abram. She runs away. She's by herself. In other words, she was oppressed, right? What do you do with the oppressed? You help the oppressed, right? You know, God helps the oppressed. Did you know that? Yeah. God helps the oppressed. God helped Hagar by sending an angel. The angel appears to her and mentions two things. Number one, a command. Number two, a promise. What is the command? The command is return to your mistress that requires faith and when people act on faith god rewards that action of faith this is why god had a promise to hagar what is that return to your mistress submit to her authority and i i will give you more descendants than you can count what was the promise of god to abram the same thing right so God's promise to Abram, he repeats to Hagar, who was a nobody. But because of God's mercy helping the oppressed, we find here Hagar receiving a blessing seemingly out of nowhere. Can you imagine that? All, you, you thought you're done for, you're by yourself, you're running away, you don't know where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and God shows up. That always happens. When you think you're by yourself, when you think you're overcome, God is always going to be there to deliver you. God says, you will become a mother, right? 
you will have many descendants that you cannot count. How? How is this going to happen? Well, let's read the next passage. Genesis 16, verse 11. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him. What's the name? Ishmael. Ishmael. What does that mean? Which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Perhaps Hagar learned how to pray to God. Because he lived in the household of Abram who prayed to God. And so in her moment of crisis, in her moment of distress, what did she do? She took a chance. She cried out to God. And God heard her. This is why the angel says you are to name that son Ishmael, which means what? God hears. You see, God hears the cries of those who are in distress. And so through Ishmael, God would fulfill his promise. It's interesting because if we take a look at the genealogy of Abram. Next slide. So Abram had relations with Hagar, one night stand, I guess. And also Sarah, his wife. From Sarah, they got Isaac. From Isaac, Jacob. From Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel would become the Hebrew people and would establish the Jewish religion, right? If you look at Hagar, Abraham and Hagar begot who? Ishmael. Ishmael would eventually become the father of how many tribes? Twelve. Twelve Arabian tribes. The Arabs came from Hagar. The Arabs came from Ishmael. According to Muslim tradition. Next slide. Ismael. That's how it's spelled in Arabic. Not Isaac, but Ishmael according to Muslim tradition, was the son taken to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah, not Isaac. Okay? And Abraham took Hagar and Ishmael to Mecca and returned to build the Kaaba. The Kaaba. What is the Kaaba? Next slide. Have you seen that before? Yeah. Yeah? In Mecca. This is their most cherished, their most holy building. So the, the, the Muslims would pray towards this place wherever they may be in the world. And so Ishmael begot the 12 tribes of the Arabic people, and he would eventually be the progenitor of the Islamic religion. Isn't that interesting? Ishmael would eventually, it, he would lead and give birth to the Islamic faith. And so we can say, next slide, Abram, <laughs> Abram gave rise to three major religions in the world. Number one, Judaism, right? I mean, the Jews today, who do they consider as their father? Who? Abraham. Father, Abraham, right? Christianity. What do we call Christ? The seed of Abraham. And now Islam. <laughs> Through who? Through Hagar. The three major religions came from who? The loins of Abraham. Is that amazing? Right? 
three major religions. And this was all prophesied by who? By God. But there was one thing, a very concerning part of the prophecy, because God says your number will be as countless as the stars. When we think of the Arabic people, we think of them as being prolific, right? There's a lot, a lot of Arabs, am I right? But there's another part of the prophecy that mentions this. Genesis 16, verse 12. The descendants of Ishmael, this son of yours, will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. The Ishmaelites would give rise to the Arabian people who would uphold Islamic faith and they would be in open hostility, hostility against their relatives. Who are their relatives? The descendants of who? Isaac. <laughs> who are they? The Jews. This is why we're not surprised even today. Today. What do we have? What do we have today? Next slide conflict between the Arabs and the Jews. Isn't that true? This is why I don't know if there's ever going to be peace established between the two. The irony of it is both of them are what? Relatives. They point to Abraham as their common ancestor. They're common for father. And so because of Sarah's plan, we now have this conflict between Arabs and Jews. Not only that, Arabs and also Christians. That's why we had the Crusades. Remember how many millions of people died then? And so we have a lot of hostility, a lot of bloodshed because of Sarah's plan. We can trace all that because of the mistake that Sarah has made. Now, when God listens to Sarah and God has blessed Sarah, what did Sarah decide to do? Genesis, or Hagar, I mean, decide to do. Genesis 16, 13, down to 14. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So the well was named Be'er Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. And so what does, what does Hagar call God? Calls him the God who sees me. Interesting. What does Ishmael mean again? God hears. Here's Hagar. He refers to God as you are the God who sees me. Next slide. So here, the experience of Hagar teaches us something about God. He is the God who sees, and he is also the God who hears. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends <laughs> on what you're doing, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're gossiping <laughs> and you see God hears, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing, isn't it? But if you want to cry out to God because of your distress, God hears. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. God sees. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on what you're doing. 
You think no one can see? God sees. God sees your tears too. God sees your sorrow. God sees your distress. This is why Hagar's experience with God was a good one. And because of this experience with God, he became known as the God who sees, as the God who hears. This is why the Islamic religion is also, it should be, it's a, it's a religion based off this experience with Hagar, and it's a peaceful religion. It's just, so, it's just too bad. A lot of uh, fanatics, you know, you can find fanatics in any religion, right? There are fanatic Christians, there are fanatic Catholics, there are fanatic um, Muslims, right? Every religion. When you deviate from the path of peace, they're taking it to the extreme. That's not the way it's supposed to be. When you look at the origin of these different religions, it starts from their experience with God. God sees, God hears. And so when Hagar decides, I'm going to go back to my mistress, what happens next? Next slide, please. Next slide, Genesis 16. 15 down to 16. So Hagar gave Abram a son. And Abram named him what? Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. I wonder what Abram was thinking when Hagar said to him, God's angel. Talk to me <laughs> and gave me a promise the same promise that he gave you <laughs> what do you think Abram must have thought must have felt right and then he tells Abram and God says I'm supposed to name him what Ishmael God hears and he calls that place the place where God sees. What do you think Abram was thinking? I think Abram was thinking, you know, when we were struggling with our faith, because it's been 10 years and my wife has been nagging me, Abram must have thought, I should have just prayed to God. Right? The God who sees and the God who hears. And sure enough, Abram submitted to God's will. What did he name his son? Ishmael. How old was he? 86 years old. I want to ask you a question. Did Abram fail? Did he, did he fail in his faith? Abram? Yeah. Sarai, did she fail in her faith? Did she fail? Yeah, they both failed. Because they were not able to wait on God. And you know, when you fail a test of God, what do you have to do? What will God do if you fail a test? Huh? When God gives you a test and you fail the test, what does God do? Condemn you? He's going to give you a... <laughs> going to give you a retake. <laughs> right? He's going to test you again. And so, Abram had to wait 13 more years before God shows up again in his life. For 13 years, there was silence. Imagine that. 
13 years. At first it was 10 years. Now it's 13 years. But in those 13 years, did Abram learn from this? What do you think? Yeah. You know why? Apostle Paul said it. Four, Romans 4, 18 and 21. Who contrary to hope. Because by this time it was already 86. Right? And 99 years old. Uh, who contrary to hope and hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body. Already dead. Since he was about a hundred years old. So that's like 13 years later. Right? And the deadness of Sarah's womb. There was no improvement in the condition of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So the next 13 years of Abram's life, he kind of learned. He learned his lesson the hard way, right? And so when he had to wait 13 more years, this time when he waited, the Bible says he was strengthened in his faith. Why? Because he focused on giving glory to who? Our Almighty God. What was the basis of his faith? How did he learn his faith? The Bible says he was fully persuaded. And what God said he could do, he could do. <laughs> and that's what we need to understand and really take home with us. If God has a promise, he will do it. Even, even if it is impossible by the standards of human beings. God can do what he tells us to do and so God has a promise for us God wants us to also wait what should be the basis of our waiting let's read the book of Psalms 27 13 and 14 yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living wait patiently for the Lord be brave and courageous yes wait patiently for the Lord we too need to learn the lesson of waiting on God. Don't take matters into your own hands. Wait patiently on God. Be confident that one day you will see God's goodness in the land of the living. And so we need to learn from the four dangers, the four pitfalls of waiting on God. What were they again? Next slide. What are the, uh, what are the four potential dangers while we wait on God? Number one, we start to blame God. If you wait long enough, eventually you might harbor a grudge against God himself you know and so what should we remember so that we don't begin to do that in the book of uh, Romans 8 verse 28 and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them keep that in mind when Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites and eventually was taken to jail he did not complain against God because he knows God has a plan. And so when we are waiting on God, keep in mind, God can see farther than we can. And what is he able to do? God can cause everything in our life, the good and the bad, to work together for our own good. So don't complain and don't blame the Lord God. What else? Number two, it says we take matters into our own hands. What should we remember so that we don't end up doing this? Next slide, Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. 
Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, Sarah and Abraham should have done this. Right? Sarah had a plan according to her wisdom, according to her understanding. This is the best pathway to take. But we know what happened because of that. Right? The chaos, the hostility that is even uh, uh, is still present even to this very day. And so God says, do not be impressed with your wisdom. What's the best thing to do? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. What's number three? Next slide. We seek our own glory rather than God's glory. What does Apostle Paul remind us? Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. You're going to college. You have your own business. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. How do you do it for the glory of God? You pray to God about it. You involve God in your planning. Right? You let God give you insight. And you never do anything in the process of obtaining your goals. Anything that violates the will of God. Because that will not give glory to God. Seek God's glory first. And everything else will fall into place. What's number four? We can be easily persuaded to betray God. Sarai even used the name of the Lord to convince Abram about her plan. And so what do we need to do? 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-22, don't despise what God has revealed. You know, God revealed to Abram his plan. Instead, test everything. Hold on to what is good. Keep away from every kind of evil. There's going to be so many people out there in the world today who will use the name of the Lord. And they will say, you know, this is what God wants us to do. This is our assignment. This is the Lord's work for us to do. They will use the name of the Lord to convince you to do their personal agenda, right? This is why the Bible says, test everything. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. Keep away from every kind of evil. This is what we need to do so that while we are in the process of waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled in our life, we will not lose our faith and we will be able to wait on our almighty God. Does God have a promise for us? Next slide. Hebrews 6 verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When we study the book of Genesis chapter 16, you might conclude, I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'll just wait for God, right? God will do His thing, and all I have to do is simply wait. There's a difference between passive waiting and active waiting. Does God want us to wait for His promise to be delivered, to be fulfilled? Yes! But what kind of waiting does God expect from us? The Bible says, with faith and what? With patience. However, at the same time, we don't want you to become what? Lazy. See, there's a balance there. What is that balance? We do, with all of our heart. We do what God tells us to do. And we wait for God to do what he has promised to do. You get that? It doesn't mean we wait for God to do everything for us. No. We have to do our 
part. And God will do His part. And so if we will not be lazy, if we will wait with faith and patience, what shall we inherit? The promise. The promise of God. Wait a minute. Next slide. We, the small remnant, according to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. What is the promise of God for the very small remnant according to Isaiah 1? Does God have a specific promise? What is your answer? Yes. Coupled with that promise, does he have a command? Yeah. He has a command. This is the work that we are supposed to do. This is God's assignment for the very small remnant. What could that be? Next slide. What is the work appointed by God for the very small remnant according to Isaiah 1? And what is the promise of God for that very small remnant? We will answer that in our worship service. Okay? Not today. But in the worship service lesson this coming Saturday and Sunday. Is that okay? Yeah. Because we want to know God's promise. So that we will not be lazy. So that we will do the work. That is based upon that promise of our almighty God. And it's time for us to reveal that to you in our worship service. Okay? That is our lesson for today. Let us all stand for our prayer. Almighty and loving Father, thank you so much for your blessings, for the calling that we have received. What is unfolding before our eyes is your work being fulfilled, foretold long ago through the words of the prophets. We believe you are in control of all things. And you have a promise for each one of us. Help us to believe and to wait on you. Nevertheless, teach us to work patiently with faith and patience. But Father, we will inherit your promises. Bless us, Father, in the work that we do. And help us to look up to you, especially during times of distress in our life. When we cry out to you, O Father, you are the God who hears. You also are the God who sees our pain and sorrows. We can rely on you for help because you comfort your people and deliver us from all things. Praises be unto you, Father. May you continue to strengthen our faith for we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.